Uh, hello and welcome everyone to an exclusive interview uh, courtesy of Talking Games. Uh, my name is Steve Say and I'm here with Gene Leggett of One More Story Games. Thank you for joining us, Gene. Thanks very much for having me. I'm super excited to be talking about what we're doing and I'm super excited to be talking to you guys. I mean, you guys have a pretty awesome website and you've obviously been working at this a really long time. We have been working at it for a long time. It's been uh, lots of blood, sweat, and tears. It shows. Lots, lots of tears. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Uh, usually what we do when we have uh, people on the show is we like to start off with their origin stories. So um, how did you, how did you, and uh, your husband's name is Blair and your, your partners in One Story Games, correct? That's right. All right. Tell me, how did all of this happen? How did you meet? Was he romantic? Did he <laughs> sweep you off your feet? Does he play too many video games? What's the What's the deal here? You know, that's actually kind of cool. No one's ever asked me that on a podcast before. And when you think about it, it really does speak to how we came to form the company as well. So Blair and I met back in 1996. So we're coming up on 20 years in June. Oh, and at Simon Fraser University and, and Blair was a computing science student and I was an English student and somebody had taught me how to use Telnet. So I don't know if you remember that. It's like really old sort of like a DOS based email slash chat program. And I was on there and somebody said, hey, why don't you come and hang out with the computing science kids? And I'm like, are you kidding? Those are a bunch of geeks. No way. <laughs> But eventually I was persuaded to come to a meeting and Blair was one of the activities coordinators. And I'm, I'm, I won't lie, it was love at first sight for me. I was just like, wow, you know, oh, tall, cool. good looking, handsome man. And just as I came to know him over the coming weeks, it just was really struck by how thoughtful and considerate he was. And he wasn't like all the rest of the computing science people. I know that's a, a sort of like a harsh thing to say, but I think that people who are in the engineering faculty aren't necessarily known for their lovey-dovey, fuzzy-wuzzy. Mm. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that Blair also had degrees in philosophy and English before he went into computing science. So he's um, a very well-rounded guy and over the course of the 20 years, we have played a lot of games together, everything from console to handheld to PC adventure games. And it just becomes this thing that you're passionate about. And what we're trying to build and what we'll be talking about really is us building the engine to build the games that we love because we know a lot of other people love them as well. Very cool. Now, you mentioned that you two, uh, as you were, your relationship was blooming. You played a lot of video games together. What were some of the games that, like, what were your go-to games to play? Did you ah. like, up, or did you play things separately and talk about them? Or perhaps, like, what, what, what games were your favorites to sit down and play? Well, with? Blair played a lot of games on his own, and then there would be games that we played together. So Blair was really into, oh, my God, the, the summer that we met, he was really into Daggerfall. So all I heard was clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop of the horse. Oh, no. <laughs> if you remember Daggerfall and Asheron's Call. And uh, the Call games, it. yeah, right? And the yeah. whoosh of the portal. Uh-huh. But the games that we typically enjoyed playing together were sort of like the Gabriel Knight and um, Tex Murphy Adventures, Mist, and the things where 
you know, there's a little bit of information and you've got to go on, go looking for more information or more clues and things to piece together. And, and that was the kind of stuff that we really enjoyed playing. I spent quite a bit of time playing the Sims. I think maybe two weeks of not doing my classwork and, and playing really heavy Sims and finals. Yeah, we got into some online casual games back in 97. So um, for those of you that remember MSN Zone, they had they had the electronic version of Clue. Now, I've told Bronwyn that I'm not allowed to play Clue anymore because at one point, Blair and I were the rotating number one champions of the world. Um, so. Uh huh. Uh-huh. On electronic Clue, like on the on the Internet. On electronic Clue. Clue that's right. That's right. Easy. So you're How talking you to a clue champ right here. Yeah. But like, what did you do to earn that? Did you just figure out like where Colonel Mustard was with the candlestick the fastest? Like, how does that work? We had Blair devised this little sort of like a cross-reference checklist. Oh, I see. Cheating. So that that's not cheating. <laughs> I know. I'm that's just deduction, man. <laughs> and you know, it's like, oh, well, I notice it's passed through all these people. Well, those people cannot possibly have that card. And I will tell you, people got very upset that they were losing. I'm thinking, well, you it's just a clever way to deduce how to play the game. You're counting cards. But that was actually my first introduction to drama was playing online Clue. And, and um, I remember telling my girlfriend at the time, this guy is faking his death so that he can harass me online. And she goes, it's the internet. Get used to it. And that was 1997. So... The internet. It's a funny thing, isn't it, Steve? Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> Every day. Every single day. Yeah, I, I owe uh, I owe much of what my life is now to the internet for sure. Yes. Us as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before we get to, I have one more question, because obviously one thing leads into another, but you mentioned Mist. Have you sat down to play The Witness yet? No, I've heard really incredible things about that. We have actually, we live, breathe, and sleep what we're doing. And just in the past month alone, we've like literally there's a game being launched this evening. And we have three more games that are in the pipeline that we're helping other authors and creators develop. Um, We have had zero time to play other games, except Blair does make a little bit of time to play Counter-Strike. That's sort of how he blows off steam. And even though I believe we deserve, as women gamers, we deserve better than Candy Crush, I am at the highest level I can possibly be on on my phone. I think it's like 1,545 or something like that. What? So, yeah, I'm, I am I have a Candy Crush addiction. And Are you and Bronwyn friends on there? I think Bronwyn has long since given up. I mean, no, I am, no, I am is, leading. I'm at the head. <laughs> I do not have. I do not have a single friend that is um, within 100 positions of me, except for one person. Wow. And obviously, they too have a Candy Crush problem. So, wow. I look forward to playing. I like the games that we make, and I look forward to when we have a lot of creators in there. And there's new content every week, and, and we're we're now starting to speed up on that. So there should be a new game every month for the rest of the year, at the oh, very wow. least. Nice. All right. So let's let's see. What exactly? Tell me. How did you establish one more story games? What was the what was the catalyst and the the thing that got the ball rolling in the both of you forming this game company where you finally decided to 
leave your other your you know your other jobs respectfully and form this? How did that happen? Well, you know, it actually started with a near death experience, and we were living in Texas at the time. Blair was working for EA, or sorry, Zynga, and working on Castleville. And he'd previously worked on Cityville in San Francisco. And, you know, he'd worked at Electronic Arts for nearly eight years in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So there we were in Texas. And it turns out the doctors had made a horrible mistake with his medication and nearly killed him. And it's like, you know, I think we'd like to just go home and hang out. And it had been 20 years since we lived in this city north of Toronto. It's called Barrie. And we yep. thought, okay, cost of living's pretty cheap. Why don't we just go hang out for six months, regroup, and maybe we'll head back out to California. And I said to Blair, you go do what you want to do, and I'll go do what I want to do, and we'll see if we can self-fund our life for a year doing the things we're passionate about. And what that blossomed into for Blair was this development of something that had been brewing for a really long time, which is a self-publishing engine to create story games Mm -hmm. Um, in the period where he was laid off from EA when they did their great culling in 2008, 2009, he then went and completely redid a game called Ultima four completely in flash. And in three months, all on his own, completely recreated. And that was to him, it was like, wow, we should be able to rebuild hundreds and thousands of games that are story oriented like the Ultima series. So he started building his prototype and I actually was focused on my business as a coach and a speaker and a stand-up comedian, which is why if anybody plays the tutorial in its current form, you'll notice it's littered with dumpling references because, well, and funny, I think the tutorial is funny, but (laughs) um, it has a lot of musical references and, So he went off and did that and said, listen, I want to form this company. And I thought, oh, God, like you look at your bank account, right? Yeah. I don't know. And then I said, well, let's let's try this for six months. And we found five students that were college students that were willing to waive their salaries for experience. And we got a little office. And so that's how it started. Literally, the whole experience has been about asking And when somebody says no, you just move on and you ask somebody else. Mm -hmm. After that, we were running out of our own funds and we just did like a friends and family ask. And we've raised to date, we've raised 250,000 from friends and family. Oh, wow. So we kind of had our own like family Kickstarter and that has helped us build like the engine is, is in beta. It's complete. It's we've now got tonight. We'll have five games up there. And now we're starting to motor along. Very yeah. Cool. Very cool. Now, what exactly is, uh, what are your respective roles in the company? What's your, your title? Aha. My title is Chief Operating Officer. I also call myself the Hustler or the Evangelist. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, my job really is to go and talk to people, right? right. And I think as a stand-up comedian, I, I'm pretty used to rejection and love. And Blair is the chief executive officer, and he really is the the techie and or the visionary. I mean, from a technical perspective, he has seen the entire creation of this very sophisticated software platform. Mm-hmm. Oh, you 
we're done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> I was like, I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that. But that leads into my next question. Uh, so you did, you developed your own uh, engine for these games called Story Stylus. Yes. Uh, so, how, how does it work? And what was the experience like uh, creating it? You know, how does it work? So Blair always calls it and, and talks to people and says, listen, it's just a sophisticated word processing engine. Think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have your tabs. We've broken down the story elements into the Lego bricks. You've got your people, your places, your things. You've got your items and your graphics and maybe some sound files and stuff like that. So you upload those. You type in your descriptions. Then we have a pretty cool conversation engine that allows you to have conversation, but also to impact your rapport so the player can have rapport with characters in the game. And serialization is one of the features that Blair's working on for the next couple of months so that if you made a decision as a player in story number one and that decision was tracked in story number four, that character's going to remember how you treated them in story number one, which is kind of unheard of in the the engines that are really out there, you need to be a pretty sophisticated programmer to be able to do that. And we built this with writers in mind, really. So we've spent the last two and a half years talking to writers at conferences all over Canada and the States. And we've taken their feedback and we've brought that back in. We've used 10 to 16 year old kids as our guinea pigs this summer (laughs) And it's amazing what a 12-year-old's perspective on your software can do to help you tweak it. Mm-hmm. What I love is on the Friday of the camp, we said, okay, so today's the last day. What would you say to the next group of kids that is coming in on a Monday? And they said, it looks hard. It really isn't. You know, there's an element to what's called Lua scripting, which is essentially the cement of putting all the bricks together. For example, if player knows this, then reveal this location. If player visits this location, make this clue known. Okay. So we try to, and because we're still in beta, I mean, as we keep moving forward, there'll be wizards for everything. So even an eight-year-old could make their own story-based games. That's really awesome. That's really cool. Have you, I mean, there are like, there's a seems like a, a, a rash of story-based games that are coming out on some of the major consoles. Like the idea of storytelling in video games seems to really be having a resurgence. Like ga- games are always telling stories, but you have stuff like Gone Home or Life is Strange or the Telltale games where the story is, is the primary source of the entertainment. And it seems like with story stylists, you're boiling that down to where people can then write their own stories and make their own games. Absolutely. And, you know, I was talking with someone else not too long ago and saying that wouldn't it be great if we had a lot of little micro telltale studios? And in essence, that's what we're hoping to build is a cadre of writers and, you know, whether they're graphic novelists or indie game devs or experienced game devs, a number of experienced game devs that are coming to us saying, I could build an entire game without a studio. That's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. So it's when I sometimes describe it, we also talk, say that it's like an ebook meets computer game. 
So for those of you that go and play some of our games, you'll notice that they're each different. The one that we're releasing today is a cyberpunk thriller, cyberpunk mystery. And it was done by a professional game designer. And you'll see that there are there's so many different things to explore and so many different people that you can go and talk to. And some of our other games, which are shorter and free, those are, one of them is particularly very narrative heavy. So it's like 13 pages of text of reading before you get into interactivity. Whereas other ones, it's maybe like two to three pages of text before you get into interactivity. So it's all going to depend on the creator Are they going to do a linear game? Are they going to like just enhance sort of like a fancy ebook? Or are they going to create a sandbox world where people can go and explore and have interesting conversations with characters? What are some of the like the the crucial steps that that a creator would have to take in order to get their game up and running? Well, definitely recommend that they check out the website. And right now, the One More Story Games website does have some links for Story Stylus on there. And I'm told, and this is always website stuff, um, I'm told that definitely before the end of March that there'll be a storystylus.com. And that will have the videos and stuff. But we have links to our YouTube channel So you can see, okay, so this is the breakdown. Oh, if I add this in here, this is what it looks like in game. We also have extensive FAQ built into the engine itself. So all of the details are on the One More Story Games website at the moment. And you just have to find that on the company page. There's a hyperlink to Story Stylus in there. And we give away the first three months for free. You either like it and you're like, wow, I really want to make games with this. And we're super keen on helping people. So right now we've got next month or in the next three months, we're working with three different authors. One is a professional writer and graphic designer. He is a three-part murder mystery series, kind of like Murder, She Wrote. Oh, cool. So we're sort of walking him through that step by step. And we understand scripting is going to scare a lot of people, but once they get the hang of it, it isn't scary. Then we have an experienced game designer and he's doing something like a supernatural horror set in the turn of the century, New England. And let me tell you, Steve, when I saw that the story Bible for what he's working on, I nearly cried. It was amazing. That's awesome. And we're working with an indigenous game designer to create something that's based on the star teachings of her tribe. So we've oh, got a lot cool. of, yeah, right. I won't tell you the name of the game because, well, we're keeping that one secret for now, but it's, it's so cool. And I love that we're going to have diversity in storytelling. Yeah. And I even yeah, that's that's my big thing, right? That's why I'm drawn to working with Blair mm-hmm. is I get to help a have more stories in games that are female protagonists. Like that's actually one of the categories on our website. If you want to search for a game that has a female protagonist, ta-da. That's awesome. Um, I am hard of hearing. I'm looking forward to developing a game later this year with the deaf community. That is the first video game where it's on all deaf cast and it's um, because we can deliver movie movie clips as well. So that's what happens when you build the tools and you let everybody be able to make their games. Yeah. I mean, even thinking of like the the educational 
uh, opportunities that this could present. I mean, I remember going to school and, and they had like just super, super simple, you know, path A or path B, uh, choose your own adventure type of stuff. But if you, like you mentioned the tribe, if you wanted to educate people about different subjects or different parts of the world or different, um, like their family histories and stuff like that, if you wrote it out using the software and made it a game, I just know it's, it's much, some people, it's much easier to learn being interactive and actually, you know, Oh, absolutely. The teachers that have seen this are really gung ho about having us come and work with them. We're just finalizing to work with one of the top video game camps in the States next year because they've seen our engine and they've seen, I mean, there are other game making engines out there, but they, in order to make them graphical, there, it requires quite a bit of programming, whereas ours is, it ports out into something that's graphical and, and pretty. And so we're super excited to think that, wow, you know, a couple thousand kids, their first experience in game design next year is going to be through Story Stylus. And where will that take them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're pretty pumped. We're pretty excited. Well, I'm excited for you. How does, okay, so let's say I want to make a game. I use Story Stylus. I create a script. I find someone to, to help me with the art. How, who publishes the game? How does the game actually go from being in its conceptual phase to getting made and being, and being out there for people to play? Fantastic question. So we have what's called the play wall and then we have what's called the paywall. Okay. So say Steve comes along. We've never, uh, one more story games has never even seen Steve. Steve just goes into the software and makes his game and, you know, follows all the instructions. Good on you, Steve. And says, hey, friend, I want you to come and play test my game. Great. So because people can create fan fiction games, uh, we do have some rules around the number of people that can actually see your game. So if it's a fan fiction game, the maximum number of people that can see your game is a thousand. And if you've got a thousand people to play your game, that's pretty impressive. Uh And then we, you know, we want to encourage people. We're going to have a lot of people coming and creating games. In order for us to publish them on the paywall, meaning you get royalties, then we want to make sure that we do our due diligence in curating the content, make sure it's absolutely fantastic, and that also that it's bug-free as best as we can when we launch. Okay. And we're pretty thorough about that. Um, so we would want you to say maybe have five to 10 people and we can track the activity of who plays your games. So we'd want you to have like five or 10 people to play through it. And then you can come to us and say, listen, you know, I've had 10 people play through it and they like gave me a great rating on it. So we'll go play the first couple of minutes of it and hopefully it is stellar and then, okay, we'll play through the rest of it and then we'll enter into a publishing agreement because now the software is near complete we're kind of switching phases into digital publishing and the whole driving force really is to create smarter, casual content. Um, I know there's sort of, um, there's a political argument around the word casual in terms of games and uh, sorry, maybe I won't go into that. It just, it has a lot to do with like hardcore gamers and casual gamers. Essentially we just want to make smarter games that are enjoyable, that are bite-sized, something that you can enjoy between half an hour to two hours long that are story-driven. And um, 
primarily it's, believe it or not, and we're going after the female demographic. I mean, women are 50% of the game market. And I think, I believe I speak for quite a few women, as much as we enjoy the puzzle games, I'm really tired of having cartoon characters that are drawn to catch the eye of a seven-year-old um, sold to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. the art. Go ahead, go ahead. The art's cute, but I mean, I'm 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 going to be 39, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Give me something a little bit more sophisticated than cutes. Right. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, like, what is the what is the process like? The screening process. Do creators have free reign, obviously, to tell their story? But what is it like to have somebody actually bring their game to your attention and say, "Hey, I I want to." kick things up a notch. I think this could really go somewhere. Uh, who's responsible for, for sitting down and like editing and going through the game and just checking its content to make sure that it's something that you want associated with your business and that you don't end up, you know, publishing something that could then maybe be viewed as like, again, negative, negative feedback. Yes. Yes. Well, as a startup, we wear many hats, and that's actually one of the hats that falls on me. And I've been working with a couple of authors over the past year and a half to sort of develop their content. And, you know, there's this there's this moment in startup life where you feel, I think we'll call it the scarcity thing, where you kind of, sometimes you get a little bit desperate and you'll, you'll almost take just anything. And so we've had some content in the past year that was given to us that we spent quite a bit of time doing the edits on because fundamentally they were decent stories, but maybe the logic in them, like two of them were murder mysteries and, and there was some logic in there in the, that if somebody who read murder mysteries, they would totally call us out on. Right. <laughs> and, um, and I just thought, really, you know, this is supposed to have been professionally edited before it got to me. And ultimately, we don't want to publish what we don't love, right? Because right. we really want to build this reputation for games that you can trust. And if we start putting out sloppy stuff, then people aren't going to trust us. Right. The thing is, when you've got like the app stores out there, they're not curating the content. They're just going, look, there's no viruses, away it goes. Right. And now the app stores are completely flooded with content. I'm not sure if you know, Steve, but one of the, the the big exciting things that we announced last month is that we're working with the number one New York Times bestseller. I am aware. I was actually just uh -huh. about to do that. Just about to go there. <laughs> and uh, I'll let you uh, speak to that. But, you know, what we're hoping to do is is say to content curator or content creators is listen, we've got this fabulous author with an a huge audience. We want you to bring your A game, you know, like you were going to go and submit your novel to a publisher. You still need to have that edited. Yes. Like I should not be spending hours finding your grammar mistakes and your comma splices and things like that. I still want high caliber stuff when it comes to us. And so that definitely is, is treat this like it's a professional endeavor. If you want it published to earn royalties, it needs to be up leveled. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's see. I have one more question for you, and then we'll get to kind of the main event. Uh, when creators are creating games, that's redundant, but whatever, 
<laughs> using your software. <laughs> How do you deal with copywriting? Like you can enter your own art, you can enter your own photographs and your own source material and stuff like that. But how do you how do you go about publishing something, making sure that the content being submitted isn't in violation uh, of anything? Fantastic question. So we've done a couple of things to best safeguard ourselves, one of which is, of course, the extensive and expensive EULA that we had done. There is a user agreement to just play the game, which so is just your standard be nice or in Will Wheaton's words, you know, that don't be the don't be a bleep. And um, and then when it comes to using the software, there is the thing that says, please don't hack our software. Please don't destroy other people's work. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to the publishing agreement, you're basically saying, listen, I have either this is all my original own content or I have the rights to use it. For example, in the graphics, if you were using stuff that's in the Creative Commons but requires an attribution, we've actually built in a little thing in the attributions under the graphics. So if somebody clicks on it, it says, oh, this graphic was done by so-and-so and here's a link to that website. And if they click on it, it will go right to that website. And so we're really trying to encourage people, listen, collaborate, absolutely. Um, make, make sure you have the rights. One of the things that we'll be working on later this year is a built-in collaboration system. So say, Steve, you do all of the story and you get one of your amazing graphic novelist friends. They do all the art, the originator of the content. So that would be you, Steve. You started the project and you say, okay, so in the, in the software, you'll say 50-50. I assign 50% of my royalties to um, Janet. And because and Janet and under that is going to say role graphic novelist. So we automatically then will check. OK, so when the money gets divvied up, half goes to you, half goes to her. And it, you'll be able to do that for your your musicians and translators. We built in a translation system. You can work with translators to like translate into 24 different languages and still have it be the same game. Wow. So um you know, we're really, we want to build this into a collaborative community and have you work with other people. The other thing is when the game is published into its game format, you can't just go and highlight the text, right? You could screenshot, anybody can screenshot anything on the internet, right. but if somebody wanted to rip off your 27,000 or 30,000 word game, they're going to have to type that sucker out. Yeah. So that's the best that we can do. Um, and we will be doing spot checks and making sure that people haven't plagiarized. Um, and that's also the reason why we delay payment. So it's, it's three months before you would see money because, you know, just in case something pops up and somebody says, hey, that's my story. So we've tried to build in legal protections, not only for the company, but also for the content creator as well. Right. Man, what a cool system that would be to like, you mentioned graphic novelists and stuff like that. If you gave um, something, I, I immediately thought of um, there's this uh, comic book collective called 44 Flood. They uh, it consists of like Benton Three and Kazra Gambari and Ben Temple Smith, and they do these kind of nightmarish Cthulhu type of stories. I mean, they do much more than that, but they're just their worlds are highly visual and very philosophic in nature. And I just immediately, once you start talking about getting a graphic novelist, I could imagine them 
especially Menton wanting to, to maybe work with us to do a story. I think that would be very cool. Well, and, and I love that you mentioned Cthulhu because Blair is a huge HP Lovecraft fan and we've been trying for a very long time to negotiate with um, a certain publisher, let's not name them, a certain publisher of HP Lovecraft material to create templates so that if you wanted to create your own Arkham, then you just say, oh, I want this template, I'll pay, you know, five, ten bucks, whatever. Right. And then that way, all of the art assets and all of the things on the map are already pre-populated for you and away you go with your story. Uh-huh. Um so because he's incredibly he's he's a role player from way back when and the people who get into the system go oh i see all the role-playing elements in here as well it's uh and yeah graphic graphic novelists i know that there are some other really cool sort of but they don't gamify the graphic novel they just make it uh I, i think you would call it I don't know. They do some really cool animations with the graphic novel, but they don't gamify it. Yeah. So, it's, um, I think, uh, like motion, motion yeah, that's comics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be, you know, create, create a world. Mm-hmm. And like, if people go and play hard vacuum lullaby, they'll see that you can pretty much make any graphic into a map with clickable regions and all you would have to do as a graphic novelist is make your talk bubble a clickable region and make that a choice. Right. I so just all that, of yeah. a sudden, yeah. So all of a sudden that's your decision point and you go off in that direction. All right. Well, I think we got a pretty good idea about what's going on, but you've got something major uh, happening over at your company. <laughs> I was really kind of blown away uh by this when, when Bronwyn uh, had told me. So instead of my announcing it, why don't you tell everybody uh, the big news and, and what you have going on that you announced uh, back in February? Sure. And and again, thank you. I mean, it's we were kind of blown away in it. So about a year and a half ago, Blair and I went to a conference in California. It was called BoucherCon, and it's like the world's largest mystery reader writer conference. And they had several uh, number one New York Times bestsellers, international bestsellers. And I went up to a writer by the name of Charlene Harris. And those Uh-oh. of you listening, yeah, those of you listening, you may know her from her Suki Stackhouse series, which became HBO's True Blood. She has sold over 36 million novels, which is staggering right i've bought at least 20 something of those i've read so much of her stuff have you read the lily bard series it is the i own it but it's the one that i haven't i've read the aurora tea garden stuff the sookie stackhouse stuff well you're Um, seriously hardcore yeah no i've read it all um (laughs) the grave site series i think was my favorite okay Um, that actually got a graphic novelization um, yeah. but I, I lent my Shakespeare's landlord books to a friend of mine and I still, I, I haven't gotten them back, but I know where she sleeps. Well, there you go. Well, we have the rights to the first two novels in the Shakespeare's, uh, in the Lily Bard series. So nice. the first one that we're going to be working on is Shakespeare's landlord. And what essentially what we're going to be doing is turning that into, an interactive game experience, an interactive story experience, so that if you've read the novel, this is 
sort of like expands on that world, you know, to be able to like walk through Shakespeare, Arkansas at 2.30 in the morning and see what's going on when that body's being dumped and to uh, work your way through the apartment building where you're a cleaner and snoop through people's things and try to deduce what's going on. We want it to be that if you've read the book, you're still going to get a lot out of it. And if you haven't read the book and you play the game, you're going to want to go and read the book. So we're pretty excited about working with Charlene and she's been incredibly gracious with us. Um, yeah, it's, we're, we're pumped. And for those of her fans that want to follow along in that experience, what we're, when we launched, we said, listen, if you're a fan and you want the behind the scenes, go to lilybard.com and we'll be taking you through how we break down this novel and turn it into a game. So they're going to be able to see the super fans are going to be able to see, you know, every step of the process. Like, how do we decide on um, what elements are going to get into the game versus maybe what are the inspiration? We really want to involve her fans. So maybe here are like, here are six different women that kind of look like what Lily looks like. You know, we want your feedback. Okay. We, we want to include the fans. Issues. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so, all right. So you went to a, like a writer's conference, like a mystery writer's conference and she was there and you walked up to her and you introduced yourself. Correct. Do you want to hear the story? Cause it's kind of cute. No, I do. I want to hear everything. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So my colleague went up cause she really wanted her picture taken. And so I went over and I took a picture of her with, with, uh, Charlene and she walked away and I just waited for a quiet moment. Cause it's not like Comic-Con where it's like crawling with people. Right. So there was a quiet moment and and no one was around her. And I just went up to her and I said, you know, Miss Harris, we're we're huge fans. And have you ever considered creating games out of your books? And she said, you know, we tried that once and it didn't work out. So uh, in 2010, they she had given up or she had licensed out the rights to one of the characters in the Suki Stackhouse universe. And they, um, another company made a hidden objects game out of it. And it was supposed to be eight episodes. And I think they only ever did two. So, you know, she said, Hmm. And it didn't work out. And I said, Oh, is that something I can help you with? And she said, that would be lovely dear. And gave me her card. And that was it. That really was the Genesis of that. And, you know, we've spoken to a couple of other New York times bestsellers and, you know, they're quite eager to cross over into games. One wants to create original content with us. Nice. So, you know, I think this is, I think games is ready for great storytellers. It's not just about film and TV anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Charlene's just the first of many great authors that we have on board where we are talking to some comic book distribution companies where they own the IP to some pretty prominent titles and saying, listen, how about we create templates for fan fiction video games? Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't you love to be able to make your own? I won't say it. Uh, wouldn't you love to be able to make your own fan fiction game out of this particularly beloved series? And that would be pretty cool. You totally already have something in yeah. mind. Too. Yeah, I can tell. I, I do. I do. And, you know, Careful. Um, it, these, these relationships take a really long time. I mean, we met Charlene in November of 2014. And okay. the, contract, <laughs> the contract was signed a week before I announced. So, the, you know, it was, it was about wow. 14 months 
14 months from the time that we met her to the time that we had a signed agreement. And when you're in startup, you know, every, every second counts, Right. but, um, we're, we're really thrilled and I love that we're going to be able to pump out a new game every month and with great storytellers. Were you an existing fan of, of Charlene's or of the Lily Bard series in general? I, we had watched the True Blood series mm-hmm. um, and really quite enjoyed them. And I think we sort of dropped off after season, season three. Yeah. And, you know, had I, had I read most of her, I hadn't even read a book of hers before we approached her and, and somebody's oh, going to wow. go, I can't believe she said that. Yeah. But what I knew was that Charlene was loved and adored, that she mm-hmm. had a huge female audience and that she wrote mysteries as well. And frankly, th- those are the core things of us wanting to to get out there. Like I said, women are half the demographic. The largest demographic of gamers right now are women over 30. Yeah. And so, and she's got that audience. We're also talking to people about doing not just mysteries, but we've got some science fiction on there. We've got some cyberpunk on there. Somebody's doing... I don't know if you know Bonnie Burton. Yes, I do. Yes. Bonnie's working with us. So Bonnie is going to be doing a horror romance story game. Very nice. And so, you know, a little a little bit of horror in there. And and then there's going to be some romance. And who knows, maybe for the adultier adults, there'll be some romance, oh. but on a completely different website. <laughs> you know, I like that. Yes. You know, the kind of like the 50 shades, but like I said, completely different website. Hey, I, I, you know what? I think that could work. And I already know one person who would definitely subscribe to that. This is the thing. It's let's, let's, let's make some great storytelling content and let's have fun because I think games really is the next big entertainment medium. And I think it deserves respect. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, so let's see what, all right. So you deal with, you deal with all kinds of people, right? Like you're, you're the gatekeeper, so to speak of, of editing and getting stuff published. What is it like to work with like creators, like gamers that are, that are unknown versus working with someone like Charlene Harris? Like how does the atmosphere change when you're actually dealing with like her PR and people that are looking to protect the integrity of the property versus somebody who's just trying to tell their own story that they that they thought up with. Right. We're still in the development process with Charlene's story. So, you know, we are working with three really talented games writers who have, I think, between them, hmm, I want to say like 50 years experience in game writing. So they're working on putting together what the vision and the proposal is for Charlene's team. So she has final sign off on everything that we do with respect to her project. And and most importantly, we want to honor her voice. So even though we're essentially rewriting the majority of the story, it still needs to come and feel like it's a Charlene Harris story game. Right. When it comes to the other authors, you know, it's it's funny because um, the game that's coming out tonight, Mandatory Upgrade, X Marks the Spot, like I said, is done by a professional game designer. It's the first 
game that's been produced by somebody external to our studio. So everything else, we've either had people sitting down next to us or have been our own in-house people. And there's something really remarkable about that. And sometimes I think Blair and I, because we're just, this is the first wave of the new authors that are coming out. We're being a little too nice and I know as we move forward, it'll be like, hey, you know what? This is a business and here are the decisions that we've made, an editorial decision, and we need you to respect and trust our decision. Um, for example, maybe the art needs to be, we need to up-level the art in this one area. Yeah. Or maybe the story is missing um, an important piece of information and it might end up affecting the player's experience and we just needed to tweak that a little bit because it's one thing to be friends with these people as you're going through the creative process it's quite another to come down at the end and say listen this is the way that it needs to be uh so which is not the way it's going to be with charlene right it's that's a very different relationship i have noticed that we've like i said i'm a stand-up comedian and i have toned it down quite a bit in previous years because I know I've been developing one more story games and I'm very conscious about the reputation of the company and, and, and all of those things, the, you know, the, the big adulty things. Right. So now that we have Charlene on board, we want to make sure that we're especially careful with how we are represented and to not stir up. Yeah. You know, it's, She's tied to us and we're tied to her and we want to make sure that we represent her brand very well. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, not necessarily on that scale, but I mean, I've, I've learned about that in, in the couple of years of, of doing the talking comics and, and game stuff and everything. And uh, even working for JoeBlow.com that, you know, living on the internet and, and posting things the way that we do you know, anybody can read it. Anybody can find it. And especially privately, if like, if you have a Twitter account or a Facebook account, stuff like that, you need to be aware of what you're putting out there and how, how people view you, especially when you're associated with something that other people are depending on and, and creating with to help get their, like their careers mm-hmm. off. The ground. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you know, there's a very strong part of me that would like to have a loud conversation about diversity in games. But I will admit the other part of me is like, I don't know, there's still that whole GG thing out there. And do I really want to open myself out up to um, harassment and things like that? And yeah, I don't really want to. Uh, I'm not really interested in that conversation because it's not a conversation. It's those are personal attacks. And all I want is to create a space where if you want to make your own Tex Murphy adventure, you can. If you want to make your own Gabriel Knight, Mist, uh, Zork, a graphical Zork, you can make a graphical Zork. You know, I just want to create the space where it doesn't matter what country you're from or what your experience has been, that you can create great, fun content, whether you just share it with your friends and family or it's mind-blowingly awesome like steve maybe i'll show you afterwards i'll show you some of the art for the indigenous game and um i mean i've just been i'm so humbled and why i'm particularly excited about that project is this is a game designer that i sort of met through facebook through um, a women in games uh, facebook group and the universe has done us many favors and back in september 
prior to going to the Future of Storytelling conference, which is in New York, I met the most incredible 18-year-old woman who is also from the same tribe, from the Ashinaabe tribe. Oh, wow. And she is a filmmaker and composer. And the music that she does and the storytelling that she does to honor her tribe, I was like, I got to get these two women together. <laughs> and so it's now we're all just buzzing about what this game is going to look like. And it's just... You know, that's what makes my heart sing. That's what makes Blair's heart sing. He's got goosebumps releasing this game. Yeah. Um, we're just we're just big nerds that want to have fun and um, and inspire other people. That's awesome. Uh, I have one more question about the Charlene Harris news. You mentioned writing. Who is going to be in charge of writing the Lily Bard? Uh, game is she, she if she's not going to do it who does uh, so like I said we have three really talented people currently attached to the project we have a gentleman by the name of Will Hiles and he's based out of Austin and he's got 20 years experience as a novelist and a playwright and a narrative designer for a number of big games mm. including um, he worked for Wooga for a time for Pearl's Peril and Agent Alice then we've got Neil Halford and he's based out of San Diego and Neil uh, is an award-winning game and narrative designer. He did Betrayal at Crondor. So um, for those of you listening, uh, back apparently was a, a really big thing in its time. And he successfully, we want Neil to head that one up because he was able to take and create a world between two novels that felt so much like the author's voice that fans thought the author wrote that game. Oh, wow. And then we have a really fantastic uh, game designer, Sandy Chen, and she, I believe she's from New York. And Sandy was one of the writers that was on The Witcher, The Witcher 1. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that we had a woman on the team. It's very important to me to make sure that we do have uh, women working with us um, and uh, diverse voices yeah, I, I, I just, you know, and every time I talk about this, people probably go, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know, when we did the art for Sky Carver, I said to, I said to the writer, I said, listen, we need to, we need to put some more diversity in this artwork. It's, it's a lot of white people. Yeah. And I'm not comfortable with that. It's, it's not the game company that I want us to be. You know, we want to make sure that when somebody plays one of our games, that they can see themselves represented in these games. I like that. That's awesome. So, so yeah, I've got some, some top-notch people working on the Lily Bard thing. And um, I'm just, I'm really proud of the, the, the writers that we're putting together. And, you know, this guy from just an hour north or an hour south of Niagara Falls is working on that three-part series. He's using all photographs, by the way. He's not using hand-drawn illustrations. He's using photographs. So you can upload photographs and you can make your own friends, characters in your story. Very cool. That is really, I like that. That's yeah. awesome. Let me ask you this. Do you have any, it's a two-part question. Do you have any dream projects on the back burner and is there any property that you'd like to explore using the Story Silas platform that hasn't come up yet? Like, is there something that, that while making this thing, you're like, oh, what if we got this? What if we did this? Well, 
I'm going to say there's definitely a dream project that I have in mind and hmm okay so <laughs> this, this could be this could be the interview where you let it go I I well you know uh okay I'm going to let it go we would love to work oh my god it would be so amazing to work with Chris Jones and and do a Tex Murphy using our engine um, because, you know, we've actually had conversations with Chris and he's been so incredibly generous with his time. Like we've, wor- I've worshiped him for 20 years. I mean, I don't know about you, but Tex Murphy is, that to me is, it's fun. He's got that funny sense of humor. He's got great story in there. And I know from doing the kind of games that he does with the full motion video, those are so time they eat up so much time, right? It's him and his team working for a year full stop. And there's no reason why we couldn't simplify that and still focus on the story, but cut down on the graphical stuff. And so we would love to be the the premier home of the Tex Murphy series in the future. And um, so that would be one of my dreams one of my dreams. And, you know, I really think that there's going to be a very smart television property that comes around very soon and says, yes, we want you to do fan fiction video games. Here's all of the art assets and, and here's the licensing agreement so that their fans can come and create a world where people can boldly go and explore. So, you know, that would be, that would be pretty groovy. (laughs) <laughs> well, I gotta say, this all sounds really exciting, and I'm I'm just thrilled for you that you're you're getting to do so many cool things and finding so many cool people to work with. And uh, I just I wish you nothing but the best. Why don't you uh, tell our listeners uh, where they can find you and how they can go about getting involved and in maybe making their own stuff? Absolutely, Steve. You can go to onemorestorygames.com. And if you spell it O-N-E or with the numeral one, you'll still end up at the same website. And you can, I always suggest that people play a couple of our games first, especially if they want to create their own games, get a sense of the different styles, because some have photographs, some have hand-drawn illustrations, etc. And if they want to root around, there is a link right now to Story Stylus under the About Us page. That will soon have its own website at storystylus.com, S-T-Y-L-U-S, had to think about that, storystylus.com. And if you're a huge Lily Bard fan and you want to be part of the Charlene Harris experience and watching us break down her novel and turn it into a game. This is, I think this is going to be really great to see that, that dev blog and, and involve the community. And that would be lilybard.com. You can spell that with two L's or three L's. We got you covered. And I got both. yeah, yeah. You know what? I figure there's going to be people who misspell. I can't help Smart. people who spell it L. <laughs> that is good thinking. No, there's uh she's got a third TV series coming out, Steve. I heard about that. Yeah. So, I mean, she's she's been so incredibly gracious and I think she too is passionate about us giving writers the opportunity to cross into games. Um I like to think that's one of the reasons why she picked us. She could have worked with anybody. We're mm-hmm. just a little tiny studio north of Toronto, but you don't get what you don't ask for and yeah. I'm not done asking people. Um, I see big things for us 
And I hope that people come and play our games and come and create. We're willing to help. If you're stuck on something and you're like, I love this, but I'm stuck, send us an email. We'll get in there. We're doing webinars to teach you how to use the content, um, the platform. We really just, yeah, I'm a broken record. We want to help you make story games. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope everybody's listening. If you're at all interested, you now have all the information to reach out to One More Story Games and uh, get to creating and making your own games. Uh, Anybody can do it. So uh, I want to thank you very much, uh, Gene. You can hang out with me after we decide to to cut the recording and we'll, we'll chat a little bit more. But um, all the secret stuff. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to uh, to sit down with me and uh, talk about all this really exciting stuff. And, thank you uh, for having me. Oh, absolutely. And you know, we can have you back as things as things develop and whatnot, and uh, we'll see what shakes out. That would be and, awesome. Uh, excellent. All right. Uh, of course, I am Steve Say, as you know, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time, guys. Thanks so much for listening.